You're in the water loop. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from Springpoint Partners and the Walton Family Foundation. Waterloop. Hi, this is Travis with Waterloop. I'm a huge fan of High Sierra showerheads for many reasons, including how they are incredibly water efficient, they provide tremendous water pressure, and they're made from solid metal with no plastic parts. I also love supporting a small business that's based in the High Sierra foothills where their team designs and assembles all of the showerheads with parts from suppliers in California. This is a U.S. company. I've spent time talking with owner David Malcolm. He's concerned about the pressures facing our water resources and wants to make a difference. That's why he's focused his company on water conservation and energy efficiency. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at HighSierraShowerheads.com. You're in the Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis, joined by two guests to talk about the most endangered river this year. I'm with Amy Sowers-Cober. She is Vice President of Communications for American Rivers. Amy, so glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. And Lisa McShane, she is a contractor for American Rivers. Lisa, glad you're on as well. Thanks. Happy to be here. Great. We are going to talk about uh, the American Rivers list for 2020 of the most endangered rivers in the country. Uh, we're going to focus on the, the river that's in the top spot this year, the Snake River. Um, before we really dive into that, uh, could you, Amy, explain what it means to be on the list of the most endangered rivers in America? Absolutely. So American Rivers has been releasing this report for 36 years, and it is the annual list of rivers facing the biggest, most urgent threats. We choose rivers based on three criteria. One is the importance of the river to people and nature. The second is the magnitude of the threat. And the third is, is there a decision in the coming year that the public can influence? And this is really important because a lot of rivers are in trouble or in bad shape, but not every river has a key point, a key action coming up that the public can can help influence and turn up the heat and try to get the, the outcome that, that the river needs. And on the snake, um, you've got this incredible confluence of a, a, a serious, serious threat, the need for urgent action, and this incredible opportunity for a transformational game-changing solution. I love that that is such a big aspect or, of the criteria for the most endangered rivers. You know, when we were talking before, I was like, oh, I don't want to do just all doom and gloom here. What's the, what's the solution? And so I love that you identify rivers where there is a path forward. There's an opportunity to improve the health of that waterway. Uh, before we dive into what the problems are on the Snake River, could uh, one of you describe this place uh, for people that might be listening around the country, around the world? Where is the Snake River? What's this river like? Um, I'll tackle that. So the Snake River, uh, particularly the portion that we're discussing, is in, largely in Washington State. It, uh, it ends at the confluence with the Columbia in Pasco, Washington, and goes all the way uh, over to Lewiston, Idaho. So it's southwest Washington. That's where the four dams are. It's a deep, beautiful, arid area, a deep canyon. Um, I want to talk a little bit about why I'm involved, because that that sure. impacts 
this. My uh, family are wheat farmers uh, and they ship their wheat on the Snake River. Uh, but I'm an environmentalist. I live in Western Washington and I work for uh, two tribes here. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I'm aware that uh, my family shipped wheat uh, before there were dams and they will continue shipping wheat after there are dams. So, so the area around here, it's a pretty rural area. Agriculture is a big part, part of the, the region. Land it flows through in Washington is the Palouse. So it really is some of the most beautiful uh, land in the world with these deep rolling, um, largely dry land wheat fields. Mm. Okay. All right. So why is the Snake River on the most endangered list this year? And why is it in the top spot? It's number one. That top spot is a, is a key spot. We think that no river in the country is in more need of bold, urgent action. Snake River salmon are facing extinction. And this is an existential threat for not just the, re not just the river, um, not just the ecosystem, but the entire region. Um, it is a, a serious, serious threat to indigenous people, the Northwest tribes that have depended on salmon forever, have cared for salmon forever. Um, it's a threat to the region's economy. And so, as you said, you know, this isn't about doom and gloom. This river, this report is really about solutions. And through this report, for each of the 10 rivers, we identify a path forward, specific steps that need to be taken. And on the snake, we see an incredible opportunity to not just recover salmon, but as, as we'll talk about, I think in this, in this conversation, so many critical issues for the region are interconnected. Clean energy, hydropower, uh, irrigation, farming, transportation, salmon, the economy, recreation, tourism, all these things are, are tied in a knot. And in order to address one, you have to address them all. And so through this spotlight that we're shining today, uh, through the release of this report, we wanna solve that problem together. And the only way we're gonna solve it is by getting um, the region paying attention, our Northwest congressional delegation stepping up and leading on what we think is a, a top, top priority issue. Thing, one really important piece is that uh, these are the some of these salmon are the salmon that orca feed on. And so as we've all learned throughout the world when we saw an orca mother carrying her, her dead calf uh, for weeks, um, they're in trouble too. And so it's, it's, um, it's the region, it's the people, it's the wildlife. Um, and uh, we can find good solutions where there are plenty of win-wins on this. Yeah, very. There's that that food chain, right? You, if there's a problem with one species or one population, it's going to have a, a ripple effect across the the food chain. Well, let's talk a little bit more about about the salmon. Um, talk more about the the state of that salmon population um, and why it's so important to, I guess, the bigger picture of of salmon populations and health. Yeah. Well, so Snake River, Snake River runs used to be 50% of the entire Columbia Basin salmon, and now they're, they're 5%. Um, so for folks who don't live in the Northwest, just a quick uh, lesson, because these are truly the coolest creatures, maybe even in the world, um, in terms of their migration and what they do. Snake River salmon are born in these high, pristine mountain streams, cold, cold little streams. The eggs hatch, the baby salmon swim downstream. They're carried by river currents all the way down to the ocean. And they spend several years in the ocean, mature as adults, and then they swim back to their home streams. And, you know, you think about 
the world, nature, wildlife, what, what other animal does that, right? Um, so that's what we're talking about here in terms of a very special creature that, as Lisa mentioned, supports orcas, southern resident killer, killer whales, um, 130 other animals in the food chain depend on salmon. Mm. So that's their life. They need rivers to swim up and downstream. And if you look at graphs of Snake River salmon returns or Columbia Basin salmon returns, um, you know, dig into the science and all the numbers, you'll see that when the, when the first dams went in on the Columbia River, the runs, the returns were pretty stable. They, they, the, the salmon kept returning. But then when the Snake River dams went in, the four lower snake dams in the 60s and 70s, that's when you see the, the line just tank. Um, and so those dams really have an impact. And it's, again, you think about the, the baby salmon that need that swift cold water current to flush them downstream to the ocean. Well, now they're running into these big slack water pools behind each of the lower snake dams. These pools of water warm up in the summertime and even now more so with climate change to often lethal, lethal temperatures. Salmon need cold water. Um, and then you've got, you know, the returning adults needing to get over all of these dams. And it just, it, it this, the impacts accumulate and, and the numbers are crashing. Hmm. Um, and so that's, that's the crisis point where we're at. And scientists say that we won't recover Snake River salmon without removing those four lower snake dams. It has to be part of a, of a regional strategy to bring these important fish back. Lisa, maybe you could talk a little bit more about the indigenous people, the tribes in this area, and the role that salmon have historically played um, in their lives and their culture, and, and what the decline in this population of salmon has done to them. Yeah, many of the tribes in the Northwest refer to themselves as salmon people. Um, salmon were their economy, were their, you know, it's, it's their, their food source. Uh, and it's a very nutritious, you know, high value food source, as we all know. Um, uh, one of the um, one of the really um, important areas in the Northwest historically was Celilo Falls. That's an area in um, in the Columbia Gorge uh, that was flooded by a dam. We're we're not discussing taking that dam down, um, but it really shows how important the Snake River salmon runs were. Celilo Falls had a trading village there for over 15,000 years. And uh, it was one of the largest trading centers in North, if not the largest in North America. Um, historians referred to it as the Wall Street of the West because people came there from all over to, uh, from Mexico to Alaska to trade goods. Uh, and what brought them there were the Snake River salmon runs. Those were uh, tens of millions of, of, salmon returning home every year through the Columbia Gorge and then through the Snake River Gorge um, but to their, you know, hundreds of miles of um, habitat upriver. Uh, and those were big salmon. They were, uh, we don't see salmon like that anymore. Um, I don't think we see them that large anywhere, but um, those, those salmon runs were the economy of the Pacific Northwest. And, and that was the economy that indigenous people organized their lives around and their culture, their ceremonies, um, uh, all, all of that. And still to this day, um, that, that is salmon remain a critical part of their 
their lives. Um, and if the salmon go, it's hard to see how native people in this area, what, what their next, who they are after the salmon. Yeah. So here we have, you know, as we look across our country more closely and closely, this is another real environmental justice situation where a group is suffering. Those four dams, what's, what's their purpose? What do they actually do and, and provide? Yeah, they were, um, it was a bold, audacious, you know, uh, mid 20th century concept uh, to turn Lewiston, Idaho into a seaport. Hmm. Um, you know, stepping back, you got to admit that's, that's, that's an idea. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the booster behind it was, you know, he worked for quite a long time to get funding, uh, in Congress for, for his idea and it worked. Um, but you know, it, it, um, over time it's, um, it's just, it, it maybe wasn't the very best idea. Um, even setting aside the unintended consequences to the salmon runs, um, you know, there are four, four dams designed to enable barges to get safely year-round up to Lewiston, Idaho for goods and services. But it, um, it never really, um, it, it's declined. There's, you know, less barging all the time. Uh, even grain shipment on those barges is down. Grain shipment out of the Northwest isn't down. Hmm. It's that shipping on those barges is down. Um so, and a secondary purpose was for uh, energy production, um, and I'd say a third one is irrigation. There is no flood control value to those dams; they don't control floodwaters. Um, but there's, um, you know, they irrigate 47, 53,000 acres of farmland, largely potatoes and onions, and and that's that is important. Um, but that's also something that's um, you can you can fix that problem with. Um, you know, an additional pipe down at the the water. Mm. Well, I, I do want to pivot now to that whole solution side and the path forward. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned that rivers on this list have to have some type of of turning point that they're at an opportunity to to bring back the health. So, what's what's before the Snake River right now? What's what's the opportunity? What's the path forward uh, to turn things around? Well, it's a tremendous opportunity. Um, so as, as I mentioned earlier, scientists say that we've got to remove the four lower snake dams to save snake river salmon from extinction. We believe that any plan needs to replace the benefits of those dams because they, they are producing and providing important services. We've got to protect jobs. We've got to create economic opportunity. Congressman Mike Simpson from Idaho has proposed a potentially game-changing solution that includes dam removal and a whole suite of investments to not only uh, keep things as they are in the region, but, but make things better in terms of infrastructure investment, clean water investments, um, jobs, transportation, irrigation, so and clean energy. And I think really importantly, um, when he announced this package of solutions a couple months ago, he made the point to say, you know, look, we, we have an opportunity it, as a region to do this now on our own terms and, and have control over the outcome. Or we can wait for somebody else to do it to us because the status quo isn't working. The salmon are going extinct. The, the region's energy system needs to be improved. 
So do we want another Congress or another judge to make these decisions for us, or do we do it ourselves on our terms? And I think that's really important as a region that people, that we come together and craft a solution that is on our terms. And you know, Congressman Simpson's proposal isn't perfect, but it is a really, really strong start. And that's why we need the whole Northwest delegation to come together and move this forward. Um, I also wanna say something about sort of the cost of inaction. Mm. It's not just like, do we spend the $33.5 billion that Congressman Simpson is proposing or not? Or not? There is a huge cost, an even bigger cost to, to, to the status quo that we're living in right now because the salmon will continue to fail toward extinction. We will continue to have broken commitments to Native American tribes. Um, electric rates will go up because there's just increasing um, uncertainty. We're gonna lose a, like I mentioned, this, this, this multi-billion dollar natural economic resource that salmon represent to this region. So when we're thinking about cost and, and what path makes forward, it makes sense going forward. I think it's important to really know what the choices are. What might that look like then if these dams come down and there are other choices made? You know, you've mentioned how these are a source of energy, how there's it's a, you know, there's jobs, how there's irrigation, there's even some amount of transport of goods. Um, how can those things be replaced uh, in, you know, if the dams are taken down? You know, Congressman Simpson's uh, concept um, lays out some some ideas that I, I think are a really good places to start. He put together some buckets of things. Uh, one is uh, so you know seven hundred and eighty million to upgrade the irrigation, and that seems to be um, that seems to be sufficient. Another is a substantial amount to upgrade transportation to get uh, largely grain uh, and other goods to market. Um, because it's just replacing that that stretch of, of uh, river from uh, Lewiston, Idaho, to the Tri Cities. Um, but one of the more exciting, so that that replaces what there is, uh, and that's great. Uh, but for me, one of the really exciting pieces is the amount of money um, he puts into research and development for clean energy solutions. Uh, I look at it as um, you know our moonshot opportunity to really storage of, um, of energy is, you know, when we move to clean energy, we have to store that energy to be used, you know, on cloudy days and on uh, days when the wind doesn't blow. Uh, and putting 1.25 billion into research and development for clean energy makes all the sense in the world for the world. Um, he puts that into two places, some into Lewiston, Idaho, uh, and then some into the Tri-Cities. Uh, the Tri-Cities uh, has long been an energy hub. Uh, you know, that's where Hanford Nuclear Reservation is. Um, by the way, my grandparents' farm was condemned to make way for the Hanford Nuclear Reservation. Um, so I've got deep roots in that, in, in that stretch also. Um, but it um, puts money into, um, you know, there's already a high percentage of PhDs living in that area. It'll become a, a hub, uh, a magnet community for clean energy. And uh, they do solar, they do wind, uh, they do hydro, and they do nuclear. So they're well-equipped and well-positioned and well-located to, to really um, improve the overall clean energy picture in the U.S. and around the world. 
And what's the general uh, sentiment reaction among the different stakeholders in that particular region there in in far eastern Washington? What 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 are people thinking and feeling about a path forward like this? You know what, Amy talked about um, the potential of somebody else making a decision. So Simpson's proposal says our own solution on our own terms, because the alternative really is that a federal judge will make a decision, but without $33.5 billion to replace, um, to replace uh, systems. Uh, so uh, I've, I've been spending the last um, you know, number of months talking with farmers and irrigators and irrigation engineers in that region and I hear um, a, a willingness to have those conversations, um, a willing, an interest in you know uh, being realistic about it, and and coming to the table before a decision is made about them. What I hear from people is that they would like to be part of making that decision, and they are, you know, thinking through the practical, you know, how do they, how do they get? Uh, they're already pumping water two to three hundred feet up. Um, how do they get it another 100 feet? Should the river, you know, um, the drawdown leave the river 100 feet lower? Um, so people are um, grappling with it quietly. A lot of, you know, quiet conversations happening. And, uh, and it, I think it's time for uh, somewhat more public conversations to be happening about this. Hmm. Well, one thing we've we've seen time and again at American Rivers, I mean, we're we've we've always been about pragmatic problem solving. And one lesson that we've taken from other big complex river issues in other places around the country is we've really got to work to meet each other's needs. When you can when you can come together, um, you know, there's always all these different interests and stakeholders. And when when you can start trying to solve each other's problems that's when you get to the really lasting solution. And so that's one, that's what we're trying to do here on, on the snake. Sure. Well, uh, by being placed in the number one spot on the, the most endangered rivers list, that will certainly elevate the conversation around this, I think, in, in, a, in a manner you all are looking for. Um, and I know that there's been a lot more dams coming down around the country the past few years. And so it seems like there's momentum behind that that would help in this situation, too. Uh, I've never been to the Snake River. Like you said, Lisa, the, uh, the pictures I've seen, it looks like a beautiful place. Have to make my way out there at some point. Uh, but Amy and Lisa, thank you both for the information, for the conversation perspective. I look forward to, to following what happens. Thanks for having us. And folks can visit our website at AmericanRivers.org to learn more. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Springpoint Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish way to save energy, water, and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Save 20% with promo code WATERLOOP at HighSierraShowerheads.com. If you like Waterloop, please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit Waterloop.org to sign up for updates. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.